With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now. And if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here, and for the first hour, we will have Manny Hill and Danny Cunningham in studio talking football. And then uh, in the second hour, a little bit of Judd Zulgad in your life, along with Lauren Cox, who is a Chicago Bears reporter. So we'll get the report from training camp with the Bears at 3 o'clock today. But fellas... On Saturday night, I was living the life on the sideline of the Vikings night practice. So I've taken it all in. I've written all of my notes. And we have not had a chance, though, since it happened on Saturday, to break it down here on the show slash free podcast, which people can get on uh, iTunes for free. Um, So here's how I want to start the show. And we'll get to some Hall of Fame conversation as well uh, with uh, all the Hall of Fame players going in and the Hall of Fame game happening and, and so forth. But I want to start with you guys asking me what I saw on Saturday night. So go ahead. The floor is open to you, Manny, and you, Danny, to ask me stuff that I saw on Saturday at the night practice. Well, I do have to say this certainly is my favorite game on Purple Daily that we play is when we get to interview Matthew Collar. There's nothing better. (laughs) But earlier last week, Zim kind of called out the wide receivers, said that they needed to, I believe the phrase he uses, get their rear ends in gear. I believe that's what he said. You can correct me if I'm wrong. No, that is is correct. Get their rear ends in gear. It seems like they had a really good Saturday night. Was that the case? Uh, They did, Danny. They had a very good Saturday night. And you know what? My, My big picture takeaway here from Saturday night is the wide receiver battle was... Super dull and uninteresting through the first week, and no one's rear was in gear. No one was really standing <laughs> out, and it was just very much shrugs. It was like, okay, well, everyone is talking about Chad Beebe, and Chad Beebe looks solid. He looks like the same player that won a job on the practice squad last year and that got into some games and that played over Laquan Treadwell one week. And so he's on the team. I never thought he wouldn't be on the team. It would have been stunning if he wasn't for how much they liked him last year but other than that it's like okay you drafted a couple of guys in the seventh round you brought in a couple undrafted free agents 
This is a team that has had a recent history of finding undrafted free agents and late-round picks and making them into starting wide receivers. But uh, somebody want to show up, please? And I think that Saturday night was the turning point for the entire group of wide receivers. Now, they came out just throwing the ball down the field, which credit to the Vikings. If you're going to put a bunch of fans there to watch a practice, make it fun. Practice all your shot plays, and that's exactly what they did. And guys just made plays. Dylan Mitchell had a big catch. B.C. Johnson was good in the red zone. Uh, Brandon Zilstra had a couple of nice catches. And here's a guy who will be really interesting to watch when we get to the preseason games, which... We're only days away, fellas. Preseason football for the Vikings. That first preseason game, man. Uh, Can't wait. I know, right? (laughs) Are you going Uh, to be okay this week leading up to that? I'm, do I need to, do I need to watch out for you? Are you going to be all right? Is the excitement level going to get too high, Matthew? You know, if you, if you're talking about sleeping maybe one or two hours a day so I can just watch the film to prepare and everything else, uh, I think that's fine. That's totally healthy and normal. Yeah, no, Um, I see no issues. But, but Jeff Bidette is a really interesting guy to watch once we get to actual preseason football because he runs a 4340s blazing fast. He was a playmaker at Oklahoma, but hasn't gotten really a shot because he's either been dinged up or last year he was on the practice squad. And anytime they bring a guy back who was on the practice squad last year, that tells you that there's some interest. And I think that um, what he showed on Saturday night, a couple of different nice routes and one amazing catch on a deep bomb, uh, puts him in the conversation to be second team when we get to the preseason game and maybe have a chance to make that number four or number five shot. So all of a sudden, we went into Saturday night, and it was like, ah, receiver group, it's just been disappointing. And we come out with, okay, there's some intrigue there. Of this group, who is the guy do you think is the most likely to sort of be another, maybe not as good as like Adam Thielen or say, Stephon Diggs? Say but, it. Say Diggs or just, Thielen. Who, Who's the next Diggs or Thielen? Yeah. I know you wanted to say it, man. Well, because, I mean, those two guys, they came out of nowhere. Stephon Diggs was what, fifth fifth round pick? Fifth round pick. Adam Thielen undrafted from a Division two college. Detroit Lakes is where he grew Detroit up, Detroit Lakes, yeah. yeah. He's and from Minnesota. I, man, I don't know if Kato. anybody knew that. I think he's quote-unquote one of us. Yes, I, I, I believe he is. he is. But I, I just, <laughs> because this team kind of has a pattern of being able to just find guys that can be not household names but can turn themselves into household names like Thielen and Diggs have, is there another guy that you could look at and maybe not be as good as Adam Thielen, but but he's a guy that could make you say, oh, okay, they're getting more out of this guy than we could have ever imagined. So I think that there are pretty much four contenders for this. The two seventh-round picks, of course, because they're the drafted guys, so there was enough talent there to spend a pick on them and not wait and try to get them undrafted or anything. B.C. Johnson and Dylan Mitchell. Mm -hmm. Mitchell, I think, is the more athletically gifted player. B.C. Johnson may be the better route runner at this moment, so those two are kind of intriguing from from that aspect. And uh, Dylan Mitchell had huge stats at Oregon, so you know that he can do it at a high level in a big program. And then Bidette, who I just talked about. Brandon Zilstra is the other guy. I mean, Zilstra makes the team out of camp last year, so there was reason to like him. He was a dominant player in the CFL, and he decided to come down here and give it a shot. I think he's another Minnesota guy, right? So, I mean, you could just have all the receivers except Diggs be <laughs> from Minnesota. But uh, but Zilstra's got really good hands, and he can run decent routes. We just didn't get to see him a whole lot last year. He was mostly a special teamer, which would go on the Thielen path of being a special teamer and working your way up and up 
And, and and between those four, I think it's completely wide open. And then you get toward Davion Davis and Alexander Hollins, who are much bigger long shots to make any sort of noise. They'll be playing with the third team, so we probably won't see a ton from them. But those four guys, in terms of that number four and number five wide receiver spot, assuming that Laquan Treadwell's not in this team, see, that's, is that, is that, that was going to be go? my next yeah. question: is what does all of this now mean for number eleven? Because we have seen him in years past perform really well during this time, during training camp, during the preseason, where we think it's this is going to be the time where he turns the corner and actually becomes a regular contributor. But now, what what does that mean for him now? Because if he... Is that going to change anything for him if he does the same thing that he's been doing the last couple of years? So I don't think he's going to get the opportunity to do it. Mm. Uh, last year, he was out there. They were running uh, three wide receivers all the time. It was Diggs Thielen and Treadwell in camp, and Kirk Cousins was throwing him the football, and he was making plays like a guy who has a first-round talent. And then we go out into the actual season, and it's the same Laquan Treadwell. Yep. Um, now, th- there's... Kevin Stefanski has basically given no opportunity for Gary Kubiak to even think about it. And and no reason for us to even write about right, it. Because right. for the most part, he's played with the second and third teams. And if a guy is not getting any first-team reps, or hardly any... I mean, he's not really even on the radar. And so for right now, it's can any of those four guys step up and or maybe can two of them step up and outperform Laquan Treadwell? And will they get more opportunity to do that than Laquan Treadwell? I see no reason to keep him on the team. I mean, when you look at his last two seasons where there's no more excuses, you've had a year in the league and you've supposedly learned how to run routes and so on and so forth, that that. He's one of the least efficient and least effective wide receivers in the entire NFL, and he was getting passes from a proven, solid quarterback, so you can't blame the quarterback. And they were scheming to throw him the ball, so you mm-hmm. can't blame that either. They shouldn't have been, but they were. <laughs> and and so at this point, you've had all the opportunity in the world. You've had your coach tell you exactly what he wants you to do, which is stop playing with the jugs machine after practice and work on your routes. Guess what he still does? Plays with the jugs machine after, has it thoof, thoof, shooting him footballs and <laughs> just like, okay, oh, this is th- this is enough. This is enough. So I, I think if two of those guys step up, Bidette is the blazing fast guy who I think has improved his routes, and then either of the draft picks, Zilstra, if they even play halfway decent football, that they're probably going to be on the team, and Laquan Treadwell is the likely guy to get cut. So with, on Saturday night, the wide receivers having a big night and that being something different, the defense also was ripped last week. What did it mean for them that they kind of allowed that to happen on Saturday? Yeah, the defense is an interesting conversation here and whether we believe that they can continue to be as good as they were before. I'll I'll give you the reason that I think they can be as good. On Saturday night, I mean, you, you saw... Adam Thielen make an amazing catch. Stefan Diggs make an amazing catch against the first team defense. You'll have that, right? Mm-hmm. And the first team defense also picked off. Eric Wilson was in and he picked off uh, Kirk Cousins. So it wasn't like they got completely mauled from top to bottom. They made some plays too. Um, but the fact that you have Daniil Hunter, who has looked every bit as good as any player I've ever seen on the defensive side in training camp, every day he has gone out and just abused people. <laughs> I mean, it's not just Brian O'Neill either, who's the second year 
tackle that he's usually going up against, he's lined up against Riley Reef and shoved him back into the quarterback too. Wow. And he's just a monster. So uh, for when you have a player at the defensive end who's coming into his prime and can dominate like that, you're pretty confident. Um, the one area where you would talk about to be a little concerned is the cornerback position because Mike Hughes has not gotten on the field yet at all. So, I mean, right now we're so far in that if he doesn't get back to practice really soon, then he's definitely not playing week one, and I wouldn't suspect that he would. Mm-hmm. And so you're left a little bit thin there with Trey Wayans and Xavier Rhodes and Mackenzie Alexander and then a bunch of question marks after that. That's where I would be a little worried, and Xavier Rhodes for the entire time that I have lived in Minnesota and covered training camps, has been roasted by Stefan Diggs. Like, that's just the reality. He beats him like crazy every training camp, and then Rhodes goes out and plays fine. But the age, the size of Xavier Rhodes, the number of little small injuries that kind of stack up, the fact that Rhodes had to miss some key games last year. He missed Week 17, I believe, right? And Holton Hill had to come in and play. Mm-hmm. You wonder, all right, is he going to be able to stay healthy for the whole season? Is he going to perform at a high level? And then one other thing I've noticed, the referees who are there are calling pass interference on Vikings corners like Mm. crazy. That is not a very good sign for Xavier Rhodes. So if I was to be concerned about one thing, it's probably that. Is Xavier Rhodes a guy, this is sort of a side question, not directly related to, to camp this year, but is Xavier Rhodes a guy that you could see converting to a safety as he gets older because that's we've seen great corners in the nfl Mm -hmm. do that in the past rod woodson was a guy who was a great corner and then turned himself into a really good safety in the latter part of his career but not every corner can do that is xavier rhodes a guy that could do that down the line i think he is but i don't think it's here because when you look at his paycheck that would be the difference maker i Mm -hmm. mean his paycheck right now is for an elite shutdown nfl corner and after this year the vikings can get out of that contract if they want to and i think it really depends on how he plays this season if he has a repeat of 2018 i think it's pretty clear that xavier rhodes will not be a minnesota viking in 2020 but if he bounces back and plays like 2017 then they'll continue to pay him like an elite shutdown corner um, but as we go along here, and you're paying him that much, and he's got this big contract, if it is smarter to have him play safety for us at some point, then it's probably going to be after they let him go and some other team says, hey, will you switch to safety? Because you're completely right, and I've thought of that myself, is like, he's, he, when he you see him walk by you, he does not look like a cornerback. Mm-hmm. He looks like a safety size, and that's what's made him so effective, is when you can run in the 4-4s and you're that enormous um it's it's a really special talent set but corners in the nfl of that size i i went back and looked at it there's not that many actually to look at but i looked at the guys like darrell revis who were mm-hmm. over six foot and it's really hit or miss when they get later in their career and i think that that's just going to be one of the biggest question marks that we're watching you guys want to talk about the backup quarterback situation i was going to go <laughs> one other backup position first and okay. then we can do backup quarterback okay. because i do think that the depth on the offensive side of the ball is is interesting Dalvin Cook didn't practice Saturday night. A reason wasn't given. I'm assuming that's just kind of a rest day. But what did that look like without him in the fold? Yeah, I, I, it's always hard in training camp because when people get hurt or they're held out of practice, um, fans want answers of what happened and what's going on, and Mike Zimmer won't give them to us and doesn't have to. So it's 
you know, Aviant Collins went down the other day. It was like, okay, is he is he alive still? <laughs> like, they took him off on a cart. Is he dead? And it's like, well, I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you he's dead. Like, well, no one's seen him. So it's, I mean, that was that was literally the Zimmer answer. It was just do, like, I don't have to tell you. Do you like, think Zimmer, okay. like, takes great pleasure yes. in being able to tell you guys that he does not have to tell you about injuries? Uh, I know that because I've seen his face when he says it. Yes, he enjoys telling us that he does not have to uh, give us insight. Oh, I could say that Avian Collins didn't have a brace on when he was walking around last night, and that's the best I can do. But um, So I don't have a good answer for Delvin Cook. The one thing I would think is that it's turf out there, and they want to avoid wear and tear. Um, you know, they talk about sometimes how the turf is a little tougher on the knees and ankles and everything else. So if you're talking about a guy that you want to give the ball 350 times between running and passing, um, then you probably want to try to limit some of the wear and tear. Same with Kyle Rudolph at his age. If he misses a couple practices just to rest, that's probably fine. I, I think he'll be all right. Um, to your point, though, the uh, backup running back situation was one that I think we initially looked at and said, this could be a little bit of a problem here. All you have is a rookie and then Mike Boone. I don't know what Amir Abdullah still has left, but Alexander Madison has impressed everybody that I've talked to. I mean, mm. I talked to the running back coach, Kennedy Palomalu, who talked about how smart Madison is, and he looks quicker than I expected. And and we should just throw out 40 times with running backs. Delvin Cook does not have the most impressive 40 time, but last year, from the next-gen stats that they have, he had the second-fastest top speed. So, like... Well, I don't even know how that happens when a guy runs a, a four or five, but then runs 22 miles an hour in an actual game. Uh, Alexander Madison's 40 wasn't that impressive, but man, he looks quick and he looks like a perfect fit for the scheme. He's my Mr. Mankato pick, so there's no bias here. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, but yeah, now we know not. why. He's, now uh, we know why right. he got a glowing review on ScoreNorth.com. <laughs> but he took all the first team reps last night, and I thought looked very good. So it, I think you can feel a little safer if Delvin Cook does have to miss a few games that the guy that they drafted should be able to step in. Because that was kind of my question about him was. Like, okay, they drafted him. Is he going to be a just a just a straight goal line short yardage battering ram type of guy, or is he gonna be able to take, you know, sort of a Latavius Murray type of role and if Dalvin Cook needs to miss a couple of games, then he can step in and, and at least be give you something. There's probably still mm-hmm. gonna be a drop off, but he's gonna be able to give you something to where you can handle being without Dalvin Cook for a week or two. Yeah, I, I think that he's looked like much more than that. And okay. he was a star uh, at Boise State. He led the Mountain West Conference in rushing, and you can see why. And I just, the, the times that I have talked to Alexander, I have just been so impressed with his smarts. I mean, he seems like the type of guy who is someday will be a coach in the league or something. Mm. The way he breaks down the game, uh, it's, it's not what you expect from a rookie, but he comes across as an extremely bright guy, which is, they were looking for a Latavius Murray replacement, and Murray was that way. So now they have another guy that I think can catch up to being an NFL runner really fast. Okay. Okay, now backup? it's time for All backup right. quarterback. Backup quarterback. Sean Mannion, not yet a journeyman quarterback, but <laughs> definitely a candidate on to one day be a journeyman <laughs> quarterback. I, I do think we can say he's played in three cities at least because he played in St. Louis before the Rams moved to L.A. So he's he's got an advantage so far. But he is the number two. What, what do you like that you've seen from him? Um, how much does just knowing Sean McVay help? All those things. Yeah. Um, well, I could say that uh, Sean Mannion does not have the good looks uh, like Sean McVay. But oh, yeah. No but, one does, Matthew. But, but he has height and arm strength. Um, I, there's To me, there's no competition right now. 
Like Kyle Sloter would have to do something or Jake Browning really special to have any type of competition, which, by the way, was one of the reasons I said I'm not going to spend a ton of time about it. I'm not writing a big feature about the backup quarterback competition. I'm not taking too many videos of every single rep like, oh, it looks like Jake Browning went through his progressions. Like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing that. I'm not because it's Sean Mannion right now. And I think Mannion would have to be a disaster and Sloter would have to be incredible. And even then, I'm not sure that it's going to tip the tides because when you play in the third and fourth quarter preseason games, it just doesn't mean as much uh, as it does if you play against the second team, especially when you're Mannion and you've done a really good job in camp, in practice, every day, day in and day out against the second team defense. I don't recall too many reps that Kyle Sloter has taken with the second team. He's been mostly switching in and out with Jake Browning, which tells you where he's at. And this is always the hard thing to explain, is that the team is going to take much more of what they've seen in the bigger sample of practice every single day than they are from those late preseason games from a quarterback. They were enough for Kyle Sloter to stick around. It helped his case to be here having a chance. But I don't think that he has much of a shot the way he's practiced. Because I think Jake Browning has been an edge, a little slight edge better than him. And Browning does have a chance to stick around maybe on the practice squad. So we know that Mannion has separated himself pretty significantly from Sloter and Browning. But my question still is, if Kirk Cousins has to miss a couple of games, can Sean Mannion keep keep everything afloat for two or three games if that happens? And Kirk's Kirk's, to his credit, Kirk's been very durable, and oh, yeah. he hasn't had to, any major injuries and yep. hasn't had to miss significant time. Um, but if they are faced with that sort of situation, is Sean Mannion good enough to be able to keep them afloat for a couple of games? Yeah, and I, and I would add to that that Cousins showed a ton of toughness last year yeah. with the amount of times that he took big hits and got back up and kept playing. So I, I wouldn't suspect, um, aside from a freak injury, that he's going to miss too much time, but... I think with the receivers that you have here, they can elevate the play of just about anybody. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if you had to play Sean Mannion for two games if he won one of them. And that's all you'd really ask from Sean Mannion. Just having seen him practice on a day-to-day basis, how hard he could throw the football, the way that he um, finds the right receivers and things like that. I mean, he looks like a solid NFL backup not the best backup in the league like Case Keenum will probably be, but maybe like mid-pack, and that's all you ask from him. I think he probably could win one out of two games. If you're talking about a full season's worth, though, where teams are game-planning for Sean Mannion, yeah, you're probably going 4-12 and or 5-11 and if he has to play for a full season. In fact, if Kirk Cousins did have something happen to him and went down, I think they would be trading. They they would try to bring in somebody else who's another team's backup. Maybe you're talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick or, I mean, Case Keenum would be a hilarious scenario. But, but, but you, I don't know how they could do that with the cap, but you would definitely be making that phone call, Tyrod Taylor, somebody like that, because I don't think Mannion could give you any more than two wins in four games at best. But right now he is decidedly number two. All right, well, Thank you. Uh, did you have a follow? Are they going to keep a third quarterback? Do you think, think on the roster? Will. You think they'll keep yeah. on the roster or a practice squad guy? No, that's a good question. Like, do you th- um, does Jake Browning have a chance to be on the fifty-three? I don't know. I I think they'll do practice squad with him. I don't think Jake Browning as as much as he did some good things in Washington, especially the one year where he had uh, that top receiver who has turned Bengals into guy. a bust. Yeah. Um, 
See, he was really good at one year in college, but I don't think other teams are going, oh man, we've just got to pick that guy up and put him on our roster. I, I think you probably could have him on the practice squad. And it's always nice to have that guy who's like, an, in case of extreme emergency, <laughs> can come in and, and know something about the offense. But usually if you get to the third quarterback, I mean, it's just over. So um, if they didn't decide to keep a third quarterback, I would be fine with that. Just traditionally, they usually have. And I I think because of his age, he's got a better chance than Kyle Sloter. I mean, Kyle Sloter, did I did I see this correctly? I think he's like older than Teddy Bridgewater. So like, <laughs> we, I, I, it's it's either the same age or older. You can look that up I'm for me, up right Manny. Now. I, because you know, you think, oh, I've never heard of this guy. He must be really young. But when he came in, he was like 24 when he came in. He's 25 right now. He's 25, yeah. and I think Teddy's, Ted- Teddy's 20. Teddy will be 27 this year, right? Oh, will he be he 27? 27. Okay, yeah. so he's not that much. So that would be, make Teddy 26. So right. basically, they're the same age essentially. And you're talking about a guy Sloter who's never played, never made a roster, was cut by Kubiak before. Um, I think he's an extreme long shot. It is funny how you have a couple of good preseason games and everyone remembers you forever. But uh, I, I don't think McLeod Bethel Thompson at, man. at this point. I don't think at this point that <laughs> that his chances are high. He could certainly change that. All right, let's take a break here. We'll come back. Uh, some Hall of Fame talk with Danny Cunningham and Manny Hill when we. Join me and Dan Terhar this Saturday for Scornor's coverage of Minnesota United and FC Dallas pregame at 6.30 with the kick right here at 7 o'clock on Score North on AM 1500, scorenorth.com, and the free Score North mobile app. All right, welcome back into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Danny Cunningham, and Manny Hill in here for the first hour. You'll get a little Zolgad in your life for the second hour. Lauren Cox, Chicago Bears reporter, will come up and uh, talk as well about whether Matt Nagy is a crazy person for the way he's handled his kickers. So we will discuss that, among other things, uh, Mitch Trubisky and their defense and so forth. But, uh, guys, one of my favorite weekends of the year is when the NFL Hall of Famers get up and do their speeches. And I thought that this year's crop was not only a a lot of really good speeches. Champ Bailey was uh, exceptional. And, you know, Tony Gonzalez, Ed Reed, as always, is a must-listen if you have Ed Reed anywhere near a microphone. The fact that in the interview during the Hall of Fame game, he called out Charlie Casserly was just (laughs) vintage Ed Reed of he's going to say whatever he wants to say. And and so it was just great uh, to listen to their speeches, and it's always super emotional and everything else. And uh, the cameras staying on Kevin Mawai's parents for the entire time when he was talking about them, I think will be... The lasting moment, but uh, we've gotten to an age, guys, where now it's all players who we saw their entire careers, which makes me approximately 100 years old. Congratulations. Um, Yep. Thank you. Thank you. That that's how I feel when Ed Reed is going to the Hall of Fame. Like, wait a minute. I remember Ed Reed is a rookie. How old am I? What is happening here? Um, But I, I will say this, that. We talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame all the time, and we have these big debates. Should Barry Bonds be in? Should he not be in? The steroids and everything else. I think the Football Hall of Fame, as much as they could stand to put in a lot of players who are deserving, is probably the one that you look at and think there is no more exclusive sports club in this world than the NFL or the Pro Football Hall of Fame. 
And um, it has an extra vibe to it, you know? And, I, and there's another part of it, too, that all these guys, and I'm not saying baseball players or basketball players wouldn't sacrifice things in their lives. There's a different level of sacrifice when you talk about the violence involved in this game. And I'll just never forget Emmett Smith just crying talking about Moose Johnston, which is the most football moment of all time, mm-hmm. like a guy crying talking about his football or his fullback. But moments like that make this really worth it. And I think if you were ranking halls of fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame just has everything right. As as somebody who has attended an induction ceremony in the past, it was uh, 2004, my stepdad's former uh, teammate Carl Eller got in. And it just so happened to be the same year that Barry Sanders and John Elway got in. Mm. So I was like a kid in a candy store back that year. Had to be incredible. And yeah, it was it was amazing because it was obviously it was we we saw somebody that was a very close friend of the family and Carl Eller getting in. So that was huge. But also like Barry Sanders growing up for me as a kid was my guy. Like that was the guy that I loved watching play, even though he was going up against my favorite team going, you know, growing up as a kid twice a year in the Vikings and the Lions. But he was the guy that I always enjoyed watching. And that to be there in person to watch him get into the Hall of Fame was uh was an amazing treat. And John Elway is another guy I grew up watching too. And and to 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 see that it it is you do kind of you get the chills when you're there because you you kind of you walk through the halls and you see all the busts of all the players that had been in there and and uh it you do sort of get this feeling within you that just kind of gives you chills and it's like man this is really something really incredible it's i do really enjoy the nfl hall of hall of fame and the fact that it is matthew like you brought up really exclusive where it's something that the basketball hall of fame i don't think has it right where it feels like if you played in the nba for 10 or more years you it feels like you get in the hall of fame yep where the baseball hall of fame has certainly has its warts with the the steroid era and all that the Football Hall of Fame, it really feels like they've got it down right. And, and maybe you could tweak the the five players a year only going in. And it sounds like next year there might actually be 20 that go in. So if you want to attend a, attend a 12-hour-long induction ceremony, <laughs> book yeah. your tickets for Canton, Ohio next summer. But I really do enjoy the Football Hall of Fame. And it is really cool now, Matthew, you also brought up the fact that there are guys that we have now watched their entire careers. Yeah. And, and you guys are a little bit ahead of me in terms of age, where, where you guys are older than I. So you may have been dealing this with this for a little bit longer. But like Ed Reed going in this year was someone who I, I remember when he got into the league. Next year, when Troy Palomalu is going to likely be a first ballot Hall of Famer going in, I, I watched his entire career. That's really when it becomes cool to me, where, where Tony Gonzalez, and, and just as we continue to see more and more guys that have been around and, and played the bulk of their careers in the mid-2000s or the early 2010s go into the Hall of Fame, it's going to be really, really cool to see. Yeah, and uh, with the Baseball Hall of Fame, I hate to single this guy out because they've put in a few guys that just, in my mind, should not have been in. But Harold Baines going in, to Mm -hmm. me, is just like an insult. Uh, I I mean, it's just astonishing that you could put in someone who was just, like, decent for a really long time. And we never have that with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's just royalty, royalty, royalty. That's it. And, I mean, think about this. The guy that I remembered 
ranting a little bit about or being upset about is Kurt Warner because I just didn't feel like he had quite the resume. He's a super likable guy and he's on TV and he has one of the great all-time stories in football, but he doesn't really have the statistical backing and he's got that long section of his career where he goes to the Giants and he's just okay. But think about, we're talking about a Super Bowl champion, a guy who was quarterbacking one of the greatest teams in history and then later in his career goes back to the Super Bowl and is one drive away from winning it again and that's the guy I'm quibbling with as opposed to baseball hall of fame where it's putting in any reliever who had saves at this point right I mean Lee Smith going in and uh, there there were I think it was what Bruce Sutter and just like these are these are guys who are just okay like hall of very good you never have that with the pro football hall of fame well let me ask you this in regards to Kurt, Kurt Warner how do you manage in your mind, at least, guys who have really, really impressive statistical profiles and were able to do this for a long time in their career versus someone who, in part, changed the game. Because Kurt Warner was the guy that led an offense that was unlike anything we had ever seen before in the sport with the greatest show on turf with the Rams back in in 99. And I do think that while he maybe didn't have the impressive numbers forever, the fact that he was someone who really changed the way or was a trendsetter with how football was played on the offensive side, I think that's worth something too. Yeah, and there's a there's a trickiness here too that Terrell Davis opened up the door for, which yeah. was if you were good for a very short period of time, but you were super insanely wildly good, do you deserve to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? I have tended to think yes, because mm-hmm. this is a sport that generally doesn't allow you to have super long careers, and if you rose so far above the rest of the game like Terrell Davis did, and you're running for 2,000 yards, and you're the centerpiece of an offense that won two Super Bowls, then yeah, you deserve to be in. And and I liked his case for that. Um, Kurt Warner's a little bit of the same, where his great seasons are so absurdly great mm-hmm. that that's probably the best argument for it. And um, when you can have uh, those types of years, and like you said, maybe change the way that people are designing offenses over the next decade and passing games to try uh, and match up with the Rams and defenses and things like that, that's probably his best case. The problem that I have with Kurt Warner going in was that you know, where does Matt Ryan stand with this mm-hmm. sort of thing? Where does Randall Cunningham stand with this sort of thing? Because you, then you match up their resumes and really look closely at what they did, and you're like, oh, well, you know, actually, Kurt Warner doesn't have that much better of a resume than Matt Ryan, aside from having that Super Bowl, and maybe that's that's the tiebreaker. But, you know, I, I, I like having these conversations much yeah. more with the Pro Football Hall of Fame because I feel like everybody has a good case as opposed to, hey, we're going to actually leave the best player of all time out. Like, imagine if Walter Payton just, like, wasn't in the Pro Football <laughs> Hall of Fame for some reason. Um, that's that's obviously not the case uh, with the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So let me ask you guys a question. Yeah. Are any more Vikings going to get in anytime soon? And is there anyone on the current squad that has a chance? I've got, I have maybe the hottest take I've ever had on the show. This goes even hotter than Antonio Brown. Then, then they should trade for Antonio Brown. But I'll let you guys answer the question first. One former Viking that's not in that comes to mind right away is Jared Allen. Yeah, yeah. Um, outside of that, I'm just trying to think of another. Will they ever put in poor Jim Marshall? He should be. Does Adrian Peterson get in? Yes. 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 So that's a former Viking that will will at one point get in. Adrian will get in. 
I guess I, I didn't think about Adrian because he's still like playing in the sure, league, but, but I mean when you yes. that's but, that's where my mind at least yeah. goes. But it, but is um, anyone going in before him? Because let's say he retires after this year. Let's just say mm-hmm. he's going to retire when he's forty-seven or something. We know that. <laughs> but if he but if he retires, let's say he retires after this year, and he'll still have nine hundred yards at three and a half yards a carry at age forty-seven. Um, so, Adrian's going to be but, sixty years old, and we're going to. Somebody's going to in- interview Adrian Peterson when he's like 60, and he's just going to be like, yeah, I could play in the league I, today I could still if I play. want to. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and I do, wouldn't doubt do you guys, But How about this? Do you guys think that um, Adrian Peterson will have any struggle being a first ballot Hall of Famer because of the devaluation of running backs in current football analysis? I don't know if that's the reason why, but it's going to depend on who else retires at that point because they only allow five guys in per year. And that could be the issue that he runs into. If we could be looking at some legends that do retire there that take up those spots, and maybe Adrian Peterson's sixth or seventh in line there, and he becomes a second ballot guy or a third ballot guy. Could there, could there be a little bit of Terrell Owens too with him? Where, Potentially. Eh, you know, he didn't really play for a lot of winning teams, and yeah. when they did win, it was because they had Favre. But how much of how much of the T.O. thing though had more to do with just his direct relationship with the media? Yeah, versus yeah, yeah. him You're sort of bouncing right. around other teams and it, things like it, that. It also, I think, needs to be brought up the off the field issue. Yes. Yes. That, has that, to, that, that was more kind of what I was sure, pointing But yeah. that has to be brought up with Adrian Peterson yeah. because the football player himself certainly deserves to be in, but we have seen people that vote and T.O. is a great example. That And I don't even think T.O. is a, a bad person. He hasn't had the off-the-field issues at all. He's been maybe hard to deal with, but he was penalized for that. Yeah. And maybe Adrian's going to get penalized for the off-the-field issues that he had. I, I, if I were to guess, I'd say he goes in first ballot. But mm-hmm. if there's anything that's going to hold him back one year, it's those two things. It's that it'll be somebody else's turn in front of him and that some people will still hold that against him. And also maybe look at him as... Yeah, he had those great statistics, but he was also kind of a relic, you know, that he was mm-hmm. the old school running back who really couldn't do much else. And by the time we get there, five, six, seven years from right now, I mean, the, the voters then might be looking at it as, you know, he's kind of overrated. They they might just look at it that way because that's kind of how it's bared out with the amount of research and numbers and things that we know now. But I do wonder if if that in some ways might help him a little bit because. Playing with, I mean, he certainly never played on a great team, except maybe the maybe the 2009 Vikings. You could look at that team as a team that at least could have won a championship if some things had gone their way in the NFC Championship game. But for the most part, I mean, he played with bad quarterbacks, and he was still able to, I mean, the, the guy ran for almost 2,100 yards with yep. Christian freaking Ponder mm-hmm. handing the ball off to him. And I wonder if that may actually help him a little bit, considering that in this era that he accomplished that in a passing league in a league in a year where Peyton Manning throws 55 touchdown passes when everything is catered to the quarterback and he's playing on a team that end up going to the playoffs he runs for 2100 yards a team that is quarterbacked by a quarterback who is not good at right, all and right. i wonder if that in some way will almost help him. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, when you're looking at sort of the iconic players from that era, let's just say 2005 to 2015, that Mm -hmm. he is up there in the top 10 for sure. And if you're pulling it away from the statistics and looking at it more from that of, okay, at the time, who were the guys? 
Adrian Peterson is video game cover level player for much longer than most running backs ever are. So I wouldn't debate that he is a obviously a, a Hall of Famer. And I think anytime I've ever written about him, I've written future Hall of Famer because yeah. he deserves to be in that with his accomplishments. I just wonder if it's first ballot or not. Now let me give you the hot take before we take a break. So I look at this current team, and I see a lot of really good players. And uh, I would say Daniil Hunter, maybe someday, if he continues on this pace, has a chance at the Hall of Fame. Harrison Smith will probably go down as Hall of Very Good, I think. Um, despite, since I've been here, he's been one of the best players in the NFL. But not a hyped guy, not someone who's ever really thought of as being one of the elite like truly, truly elite superstars in the league, quiet sort of guy, never really stands out that much, maybe someday way down the road. The guy who might have the best chance on this team, and I, and I think Thielen and Diggs go down as Hall of Very Good Players too, mm-hmm. like McCardle and Jimmy Smith. Yep. Jimmy Smith deserves to be in, but because of that sort of McCardle-Smith, he probably won't ever get in. And the position in itself. There's just so many guys. Way too many receivers. Yep. He de- Statistically, he deserves to be in. The best chance that anyone has on the Minnesota Vikings roster at this moment to make the Hall of Fame is Kirk Cousins. Because he's put up... I know, right? Because, (laughs) here's why though. Because he's put up huge numbers early in his career. He's got a great story. He's a very likable guy to the media in general that I I think everyone loves his story and, and everything else. That's changed a little bit when he signed the big contract, but for the most part, the national media has liked Kirk Cousins and his drafted in the fourth round behind RG3. And if the guy wins a Super Bowl, yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah. he is a better quarterback than Eli Manning. Eli has a couple of good years, but two Super Bowls, two Super Bowl MVPs. He's probably going to get in the Hall of Fame someday with the most meh, okay the Super type of Bowls career. The Super Bowls are the only reason why Eli Manning would get into the well, Hall of Fame. Well, I think yep. you have to look at the scenarios of the Super Bowls, too, where the one you knocked off a team mm-hmm. that was 18-0 and 0 to Total, win the Super Total. Bowl, that, that has to be mentioned and, when you're talking his about last Eli. Name. His last name, I think, would help, it, too. It makes a difference. Yeah. I've, I've always had a great amount of respect for Eli, and I think his second half of his career has made people think that he wasn't good at a time. He really was. But with Cousins, if you're talking, he's only 31 years old right now. Quarterbacks play till 40. This guy takes care of his body. If at some point he ends up on any team that wins a Super Bowl, whether it's here in Minnesota or anywhere else, which he could absolutely do. I mean, everything is sort of small samples, and we've seen all sorts of quarterbacks make the Super Bowl, and and you have a chance for it. Joe Flacco's got one, and Kirk Cousins Cousins is way better than Joe Flacco. And so the way I look at it is if he were to some point land on a great team and they everything goes right for them they win a super bowl he's going to put up consistently from now on with the passing numbers 4500 yards he's going to throw 30 touchdowns all those things he'll get in the hall of fame if he wins a super bowl and and i don't know if anybody else on this roster has a great shot at it aside from potentially daniel hunter that's who i was going to bring up because hunter's entering his age 25 season already has 40 sacks in his career he got into the nfl at a younger age where he came his first year, he was 21 years old, which is kind of an uncommon thing for a lot of guys. And I think that I would say he has the best opportunity to make the, the Hall of Fame. If I had to handicap this roster, I would pick Daniel Hunter. I, I would agree. The only thing that might hold him back for a little while is I think we're going to have a wide receiver effect at pass rusher at some point here soon where we're going to look at this era and go, 
Oh my, there are 20 guys who deserve to be in who are amazing pass rushers in this era, and that might be difficult for him. He's also got a long way to go for that. Sure, but um, just but based he, on what he's done. Yes, and He has Hall of Fame level talent. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. We'll wrap it up, um, and I want to talk about what we're looking for leading into the week of the first preseason game for the Vikings. We will return here on Purple Daily. 2.52 here at Score North. Time for the Score North download. It's finally that week, the week of the first preseason game of the season for the Vikings. That's this Friday. We'll have that covered here on Score North on the website, on the app, everywhere you can find us. We will have that game covered. Another thing you can do to follow us or join us, actually, you can actually join Phil Mackey, Derek Wetmore, Rami Maklov, Judd Zolgad, and former Minnesota Twin, Glenn Perkins, for a special recording of the Score North Twin Show, Glenn Perkins on Baseball. That's tomorrow night, beginning at 5 p.m. for Modest Brewing Company in Minneapolis. All attendees will receive one complimentary beer courtesy of Modest Brewing Company with prize giveaways throughout the, na- throughout the night. The- this event is free, but you must register to attend. Register right now over at scorenorth.com slash Glenn. Now back to Purple Daily. All right, last segment of our first hour here with Manny Hill and Danny Cunningham in studio. And I just want to go around the room here and everyone name a thing they're excited about. Leading up to the first preseason game for the Vikings, they play on Friday night, if I'm looking at my calendar correctly. Um, so, of course, you guys know that just everything for me. Um, but but I want to know one thing that you want me to look for out at camp as I attend every practice and write at scorenorth.com. What do you guys want me to look for as we lead up to this first preseason game at the end of the week? So we've already touched upon it a little bit, but the I'm interested in the quarterback battle behind to Kirk Cousins. And it, you would be. I am. I am. Are you really? Kind of. You're really interested in Sean A little bit. I'm also, I'm also interested. Jake Browning versus I'm all, Kyle Slaughter? Yes. I, I'm more so interested to see if they have a third quarterback because that that could matter at some point. Like Hopefully not, but it could matter at some point. I'm also interested to see just how excited you, Matthew Coward, get. <laughs> That's what I was, before you said something for you to look for, I was just going to be like, all right, well, I'm excited for Matthew Coward. That's I know. what I'm excited I'm for I'm excited this week. for me as well. Um, but the, the backup quarterback thing is, I, I think you are in the vast majority of Vikings fans who really does want to see Sean Mannion and Kyle Sloter and Jake Browning because it's <laughs> the easiest thing to watch for in a preseason game. Like, sure. you don't even have to be paying that much of attention. You can just be like, eating your chips and flipping back and forth to the Twins game and still get a pretty good sense for which quarterback played well. I mean, if you're saying, Man, I really want to see if Dakota Dozier can handle that second team guard rep. I mean, then you're kind of a lunatic. Uh, so, yeah, I, I totally get it. I'm not refusing to report on it. I'm just refusing to think that it matters a ton because you're only looking for a guy that could play two to four games. And anything more than that, your season's probably over. But as far as I just want to see what kind of reps they get. Yeah. I mean, when does Sloter come out? When does Browning come out? If Jake Browning comes out before Kyle Sloter, it's going to be like, oh, man, wow. That says everything you need to know about how they've done in, in camp. How about you, Manny? Uh, well, there's two things that I'm kind of looking for. One is I'm really, because of what you talked about with Alexander Madison, I'm really now intrigued to see what he looks like at the start here because Alexander Mankato Madison is that what you mean <laughs> Mr. Mankato Madison because that's that's going to be a big thing for me going into this season is you know how much 
can Dalvin Cook give this team? Can he give this team a full season? And if he can't, do they have enough behind him that can step in and and sort of fill that void for for a few weeks at a time if if necessary? And right now, you know, it looks like Madison is going to be the guy that's going to be at the forefront of doing that. So I want to see how he looks early on. The other thing I'm looking for too is some of these other corners that are behind Xavier Rhodes and Trey Waynes mm-hmm. because yep. that depth is going to be tested so much early in the season with the uncertainty on when Mike Hughes is going to be back, Holton Hill going to be suspended for half the season. You know, those those other guys now behind the top two guys, what are they going to look like? Can they offer anything to the table early on? Yeah, I totally agree with you, Manny, on, on the secondary and um, even just, you know, the safety position, who is behind Harrison Smith and yeah. Anthony Harris. I mean, in years past, Anderson Dejo was dinged up. Harrison Smith at times has been through the last couple of years, as most players are at some point. And right now, I think it's probably J. Ron Curse as your backup safety and uh, maybe your big nickel player as well. Um, but is there a chance for anybody to emerge? They got these guys out of the AAF, uh, uh, Deron Smith and Duke Thomas. And so far in practices, I mean, with safeties, what am I going to tell you, right? I mean, mm-hmm. was he was he in the right spot for every coverage? I don't know. Mike Zimmer would know that. But in the games, we'll get a much better sense of if he's going to go out there and make plays and have a chance to make the roster. I think for me, aside from what you guys have brought up and, of course, the wide receivers, the quarterbacks, were you going to say the wide receivers? I, well, I was going to ask you, at what point do you think Laquan Treadwell gets into the game? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. We should have, actually, as we go on the week, we should have like an over-unders for this game, for sure. Because I'm going to go, he does not see the field in the first quarter. Okay. I think there's a good chance he plays second team reps. So the third drive? Third or fourth drive? Yeah, there's the another good question. How many drives will Kirk Cousins have? I believe he only had one last year in the first Game didn't he? Didn't they lead in a Denver? T- they yeah, went touchdown down, drive. Touchdown. Yeah. He hit digs on a touchdown. Yeah, I think, I that, think was that was it. Yep. I'm gonna say that three, four drives into the game, he probably gets in. Now, if okay. he gets in earlier, maybe it says something about how they feel about him. I have not noticed Laquan Treadwell dominating by any means in training camp practices, but maybe that would say more about just how Mike Zimmer feels about uh, and Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski feel about. You know the other wide receivers. If Treadwell is in earlier, hey, I mean, maybe that maybe that means he actually will have a breakout season. If he's right, not if he's right. not giving them anything in preseason and in training camp, maybe that means he's going to have a breakout. That, that would definitely the be otherwise. Uh, the perfect irony of like we talk about him zero all camp, and then he comes out and catches sixty passes for seven hundred yards. Uh, I I can't foresee that, but that's a great question. That's the thing that I like to look at the most. I mean, performances matter. But what tells you where they stand is when guys come out, when they're playing, right? Uh, that That's going to tell you exactly how they feel about them. Just like if you're a hockey fan, you look at minutes played. If the coach likes you, if uh, he wants you to make the team or he wants you on the first line, he's going to give you the first line minutes. So we've got to see that. Uh, I'm also looking at the interior of the defensive line here because uh, maybe I'm not sure if Shamar Stefan plays in this game or not, but he probably won't play that much. Linval Joseph probably does not play in this game. So the guy that everybody liked to talk about, Hercules Mata'afa, he's going to get his chance. Jalen Holmes might be back and get his chance. Some of those guys are going to have to emerge as situational pass rushers. Right now, Mata'afa hasn't done a thing that I have seen. Uh, I haven't really been impressed. 
I think that NFL offensive linemen are just too big for him. And if you have to go back to John Randall to find an example of a guy that's small and succeeding at that spot, well, that tells you a lot, right? Randall retired in what, 2000 or something? Mm-hmm. Or 2000, what, maybe 2000, five? 2001. What, whenever it was. Yeah. But like, if that's who you're talking about, uh, <laughs> a guy from literally 20 years ago, then your odds are probably pretty small. Um, but he'll get his chance, I think, with guys injured or not going to play a whole lot. Um, so there will be a lot to watch for. And this, the, I, I keep getting asked about the dull camp. And I'm like, well... You know, not to me. <laughs> All right. Um, Danny, Manny, thank you guys very much mm-hmm. um, for taking the time to be on this hour of Purple Daily. We'll take a break. Lauren Cox, who is a Chicago Bears reporter, will be coming up next. And then Judd Zolgad will join me in our number two. We will be right back here on Purple Daily on Score North. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.